0: Aren't they just the cutest? Uh, We just love them so much, and they have been such a gift to us. Obviously, they were in our premarital counseling, but along the way, they have done tune-ups and check-ups in our our marriage, and just yesterday, uh, we celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary yesterday, and... um And just yesterday, they sent us an email um, checking in on us, making sure that we were doing well. Sybil called me this afternoon and said, I know you're talking on marriage at church. How did it go? And um, they're just just such a wonderful uh, gift Mm -hmm. that has been in our lives. And as we were praying uh, about our time with you all this weekend, um, our hearts were very tender and our hearts Mm -hmm. were really moved uh, because we so deeply long. For you to have healthy and whole relationships. Mm -hmm. As your pastors, that's probably one of the primary things that we pray for, Mm -hmm. for you on a regular basis. That your relationships, whether it's your friendships, your dating relationships, your marriages, your future marriages, the marriages that maybe you have uh, had to walk out of, we long for your relationships to be healthy and whole with one another. And, And for the marriages of Soul City Church to be a place where transformation happens. And so as we were praying for our time this weekend and praying for this message, uh, we just felt a strong prompting uh, to do this a little bit differently um, mm-hmm. and to, to actually set up our message a little bit differently this weekend. And so one of the desires that we have is to just really let you into our lives uh, to really let you into uh, what God uh, has been doing in our lives over the last 17 years. Not that we don't normally let you into our lives, but um, to sort of pull back the curtain. And uh, to let you see uh, who we really are and, and what our marriage is like. And I can tell you something quite Quite clearly, uh, we have anything but a perfect marriage. Uh, Anything but a perfect marriage. We have had to work very, very, very hard at our marriage. And uh, we just want to share with you what God has been doing in our lives and uh, and in our marriage over the last 17 years.
1: Yeah, and one of the things uh, that's really fun uh, about having Dick and Sybil's story up here. Uh, tonight in that video is uh, early in our premarital counseling with them. They said, you know, one of the things that has served us well is to pick a verse or a passage of scripture that you build your marriage on. Bible has a lot to say about marriage and a lot to say about relationships, and so there's sort of a lot to choose from here, but what would you say would be a sort of a compass for you, a litmus test for you to kind of see how you're doing and where we're at, and a passage that you can keep coming back to, to check in with each other and ultimately with God? And so we picked a passage of scripture that Dick and Sybil actually read at our wedding 17 years ago yesterday, and that we want to teach through uh, as we open up tonight. We want to open up God's word, and maybe, perhaps, this might become one of those passages of scripture that you go, you know what, if I could have relationships like this, Mm -hmm. man, to God be the glory. If God can take my current relationship and make it more like this, then to God be the glory. And so we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Colossians. So if you brought your Bible with you or have it on your phone, you can open up now to Colossians chapter 3. If you didn't, that's okay. We've got you covered. There's a blue Bible in your seat back. I'm going to ask everyone to grab a Bible and grab a pen. We're going to be taking some notes and circling some things down, and so you can find both of those in your seat back. Quick word about the blue Bible. If you are serious about following God or having a relationship with God or building a marriage that's built on God and you don't own a Bible, we would love nothing more than for you to steal the Bible that you're now holding in your hand. Just steal a Bible from church. One of the most coolest things you've done today. Because we think that to build a great, God-honoring, life-giving, lifelong marriage, you have to have access to this truth, this Mm -hmm. transformational truth. It's changed our marriage. and changed our lives. And so the Bible you're holding, if you have one of these blue Bibles and you don't own a Bible, please take that. And then would you also circle and, and write notes in this? Because you may not keep that Bible, but someday someone's going to steal the Bible that you're writing in tonight, and you're going to give them a head start. So please take notes as we go along. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Again, this has been the verse that we had read at our wedding. I had engraved on my ring, uh, and it's kind of going to be sort of a report card for us on how we're working this out in our marriage these last 17 years. This is what Paul says to that church and to our church here tonight. He says this, and this is very important. Look at these first couple words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, just hit pause right there and circle that whole phrase. Therefore, as God's chosen people, and talk about that in a second. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. All right, just hit pause on that passage for a second. Therefore, as gods, and just understand what Paul is saying here and what God wants us to hear tonight. What, he, what he's saying here is that those of us who are in relationship with God, who've decided to put God at the center of our lives, we already have a status that transcends and trumps and supersedes our relational status. Bigger than married, dating, single, it's complicated. We have a different status.
2: Hmm.
1: God's chosen people. Hmm. And that trumps everything. The way that God sees and defines you trumps and and sets the tone and the pace for every other relationship. Therefore, as means because it is already true. Because this fact is already in motion in your life. Therefore, as God's chosen holy people. That means that you belong to God whether or not you belong to anyone in this world. Hmm. You ultimately belong to him. And because he has invited you into relationship, you get to do relationships differently. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And this is how he says, Paul goes Mm -hmm. very practical things as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved by God. Notice there that, that you are already loved by God before you try and do this right or get it all wrong or whatever it may be before any of that, you are already loved by the God of the universe. That defines who we are. And he says, so if that is true, then we clothe ourselves with compassion, and kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience. We clothe ourselves is the metaphor that Paul uses. Like we go to the closet and we say, okay, what can I put on today that is going to show off the reality of who I am, but more importantly, whose I am? Hmm. What can I wear that can change this relationship, the tone of this relationship, and change people's perception of, a marriage and relationship mm. in this world. Now, when we got married, one, I didn't have a lot of great clothes in my closet. And t- two, I just didn't have a lot of clothes in my closet. Okay, so I was just kind of coming out of college and living very, very, very sort of simple, meager means. And so we, when we got married, I said, baby, I, I want to get some nice outfits for the honeymoon. I want to kind of like show, you know, I want to take you out to some nice luau's. And... Uh, Nothing says love like a giant roasted pig. And so, so I went to Old Navy and, uh, true story, and uh, still do. And uh, I brought a picture of the shirt I ended up with what I chose to clothe myself. And yeah, if you're going to a luau, better rock that XL luau shirt from Old Navy Sail Rack. And the problem with this picture, one, is it just nothing, it does not look that great on me. And two, I barely look old enough to drink, let alone get married in this picture. And somehow Jeannie continues to look beautiful every year. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I keep trying, but she keeps staying beautiful. So here's the thing, here's the thing. I did not know. Like, I was taking fashion cues from from Ross on Friends. Like, that was, like, how I clothed myself. And go back and watch seasons two and three, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't know how to clothe myself. It was was ill-fitting. I didn't know. It was clumsy. I didn't know how to do that. Paul says, you pick out these things, and they will shine and show off how good this God is who has already chosen you and holy and dearly loves you. So you practice things. Mm. You practice things like compassion, Compassion basically is when I get in touch with my own brokenness, I can love you in yours. When I'm honest and in touch with my own brokenness, I can love you in the midst of your brokenness. That's what compassion is. Kindness. That means making intentional loving choices. It's not just an attitude. It's actions. Kindness is actions. Humility, which we looked at last week from Philippians chapter 2, how Jesus himself modeled the ultimate form of humility by humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. Gentleness and how our tone is. Is there tenderness in our tone? And the words that we choose to use with the person we claim to love the most in the world, are you gentle with them, with their emotions, with where they're at in their day and in their life? And then patience. patience is a really hard one for me, being very honest. Patience is sort of what humility looks like out in public. To say, okay, who you are in your process is different from mine, and I'm not going to expect you to get on board with Mm -hmm. my whole system here. I'm going to be patient with you and not believe that my way is the right way, but Mm -hmm. that God's working this all out. Patience. Paul goes on to get very practical. He says, "Bear with each other." Verse thirteen: Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Paul should have written this a little more honestly and said, "Forgive one another as all of you will have many grievances hmm. with others." I mean, that's just the reality. This isn't an if. This is an as sort of thing. As we bump up into conflict, and we're going to talk about it in a second. What does it look like to forgive? And what should the terms of our forgiveness be? Paul lays them out here. We forgive because God has already forgiven you. You don't forgive because the other person kind of comes back with their tail between their legs and you can finally forgive them. You don't forgive when you get around to it or feel like it. The terms on our forgiveness in our relationships are because you've already been forgiven of things that you could never take care of on your own. And because God has already forgiven you, then one of the practices that you put into play in your relationship is regular forgiveness. Mm. To be the first to forgive Mm. in your relationships. And he goes on in verse 14 to say this. He kind of does the D, all of the above answer. Above all of these virtues, put on love. Put on, choose the garment of love. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, Put on love and let that be what what binds you together. Let love be what holds you together. Let love be what brings you back together. Let love be what sort of guides you through dark and difficult times. Do not let just the kids be what keeps you together. Mm -hmm. Do not let just like the obligation to commitment you made years ago be what keeps you together. Do not let being the roommate situation that you have set up with your spouse be what keeps you together. Mm -hmm. Do not be pretending to play marriage What keeps you together? Mm. Let love, the kind of love that God has already demonstrated for you and me, by wholly and dearly loving us first, let that be what binds you together and holds you together. And so this passage has become, for us, not just a theme verse, but really our playbook. Mm. And sort of what we keep coming back to, to saying, how are we doing? And so we wanted to kind of just share, honestly, with you how we're doing. Because we, as Jeannie said, love you. We love this church. And we believe, whether you believe it or not, that God wants nothing less than his very best for your life and for your marriage. Mm. And why would you want anything or settle for anything less than that.
2: Mm.
1: And so we want to kind of open up the books and share a little bit about what we're learning, how we're trying to live this truth out in our mm. lives.
0: Yeah, so, so we thought we would just sort of uh, wel- sort of welcome you in to our marriage a little bit and, um, and ask one another some questions, actually, about how we think we're doing or what we've been learning in our marriage. And, you know, one of the things that Dick and Sybil mentioned in that, video was the idea of a vision for their marriage. And uh, honestly, when we got married 17 years ago, uh, and I brought along a picture of our wedding day, uh, when we got married 17 years ago, uh, that's us, uh, I had a lot of hopes on that day. Um, I had a lot of dreams. I had a lot of excitement. I, I mean, it, it still is one of the happiest days of my life. Um, but I don't believe I had a lot of vision. Hmm. I had a lot of hope. Like, this is really cool. I get to spend you know, every day with my best friend. This is cool. Like, that's hopeful, right? But I didn't have a lot of vision for what hmm. our marriage was going to bring to the world. And over the years, early on into our uh, relationship, I realized that hope was good, but vision was much better. Mm -hmm. And so we began to really talk and and process and pray. Like, what is what is it that we want to come of this union? Like, what what do we long for this marriage of ours to produce into the world? And and one of the things that has really become a vision for us. You know, we have two kids, uh, Elijah and Gigi. They're they're seven and five. One of the things that has really become a vision for both of us is that I long when my kids are are grown up and they're like, you know, like 52 and they come to me and they say, Mom, I think I want to get married. (laughs) And I'm finally willing to accept that. Um, But when they say, like, I I think I've found the one. I think I've found the person that I want to be with. Um, I long for them when they have to reflect back on us the people that they watched most closely have a marriage. I long for them to say, my parents didn't have a perfect marriage. In fact, they got a lot of things wrong. But they had the best marriage that I have ever seen. Mm. It wasn't perfect, but they worked really, really hard at their marriage. They were real. They were honest. When they disagreed with one another, they still found a way to respect one another. They were silly with each other. They were giddy. They were always holding hands. My gosh, they were kissing all the time. (laughs) I I want my kids to to see a healthy picture of affection, of love, of care. And, And when that future one in their life, that future spouse says, tell me what your parents were like one day. I long for them to reflect back and say, you know, my parents didn't get it all right. But they loved Jesus so much. And I think Jesus is who helped them have a great marriage. Mm. And, and that really has become a vision for us. us. It yeah. really has become a vision for us.
1: And I'd say a second part to that, which came a little bit later, um, is that, and this is going to sound a little audacious at first, but visions are supposed to sound a little audacious. We want our marriage to change the world. Now, I know that sounds like, that sounds, What? But, but we really mean it, actually. We want to be so honest and to do the work that God puts in front of us to do and to honor God with our marriage mm-hmm. that our friends and those around us see a different picture than maybe the one they saw growing up mm-hmm. or maybe than the one they see all around them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We are far, as Jeannie said, one of the things we know most about our marriage is we are far from perfect or hitting this right all day, every day. That's not just mm-hmm. not true. But we believe that if we work And do the work that God gives us to getting that first part right, to providing our kids with the best picture and best experience of marriage possible. The more faithful we are to that first one, the more fruitful we'll be at the second one. Mm. That we can give, by God's grace and for God's glory, a better picture of what relationships can look like in this world. And so we kind of Mm. pull no punches. We want to see God change the world through our marriage. Mm. And it gives us something to live into more than just staying together Mm. till we die. Mm.
0: And, you know, as we have uh, really approached those two visions for our marriage, there have been things that we have learned to do that really helps to grow that vision. And then there are, of course, things that we do that don't help uh, to grow that vision. And I'm just curious what you would say uh, around the things that we do that help to grow that vision.
1: Thanks, Pastor Jeannie. Um, (laughs) I will... uh... That'll come up in a debrief later, I'm sure. I, um, no, I, we, we actually, because we already talked about some of this and said, you know, what, what would we want to share that we've learned along the way? And I'll share a couple real, like, small practical ones that all have to do with the end of the day. So we're getting close to that in a couple hours. So if those of you who are married, you can maybe practice these. And then um, maybe a bigger picture one. So a couple things we put into practice early on in our marriage, realizing um, pretty early on and then learning pretty concretely later on, Uh, that nobody drifts into a great marriage. Mm. No one we know has ever drifted into a great Mm. marriage. You may sort of fall in love quickly and easily, but having a great marriage takes work over time. And so we said, what are the little things that we can do consistently and repetitively over time, the disciplines that will build a great marriage, one for our life and for our kids and for those around us and ultimately for God's glory. So a couple things we do. We decided early on to, at the end of every day, to go to bed at the same time. It's a simple thing, but we just said, you know, this is a way for us to practice Colossians 3, to be selfless, to be patient, to say, when it's the end of the day, it's the end of the day. And all the stuff that maybe I want to stay up and do, and if it's work-related, why am I even doing work at that time of night anyway? All those things can wait. You can record a show. There's nothing more important than you in my life right now. So we end our day at the same time. We say, you ready? It's time. Okay, let's go on up. And we'll end our day and go to bed together. And another thing that we committed to do is to uh, never have uh, a TV in our bedroom. And it's a small thing, but we just kind of knew early on that if we had a TV, even if we went to bed together at the same time, one of us, me, would stay up later (laughs) having to finish whatever series I was caught in the middle of. And then what would happen is I'd be disconnected from my wife in the moment and disconnected from you the next day because I'd be tired and groggy from staying up too late. So just that small choice has helped set us up and set a a different atmosphere for even for our bedroom and for the end of the day. Mm. Another thing that we put into practice that we don't do by any means every day, but we really try our best to put into practice and to remind each other of and to get on our knees and to do wherever we're at to stop and just pray together. I'm telling you, praying together completely changes your perspective of each other and of the world around you bringing God into whatever it is that you're in the middle of and saying, okay, God, where are you at in this? And what's going on here? And thank you for this. And God, I see your hand at this. It reframes your day. And then it sets you up so much better for the next day. And so that's a practice we've said is, you know what? No TV. Let's go to bed at the same time. Let's pray together. And let's make sure that whatever we do, we can make sure that any conflict we have between us, which we're going to talk about in a second, is resolved by the end of the day that the Bible teaches not to let the sun go down on your anger. It's an old proverb. And so we've said, you know what? Let's not leave tension and conflict in the atmosphere because what's going to happen when we wake up in the morning is it's going to be stale and rotten, and it's going to pick up momentum over the night, and it's going to send us down a path the next day. Hmm. So we may go to bed at the same time, but there are times where we stay up an extra couple hours working whatever it is out that we need to work out so that we can go to bed at peace Hmm. together. And I'm telling you, just some of those small changes has created such a better air uh, an environment for intimacy between us Hmm. to allow our bedroom to be a place of intimacy and peace, which fosters a a lot of what we're going to talk about next week when we talk about best sex ever. So you're going to want to come back for that.
2: Hmm. So those
1: are some small things that we put into place. Hmm. Hmm. And then I'll just share one more bigger one because I want to talk about some of this Uh, some of this other stuff as well. One one of the biggest things that I think both of us had as an ideal, separately before we met each other, and then um, I think really came together in a God-ordained, beautiful way, was this idea of what if we came together in marriage as a true partnership? Meaning, what if it's true that God has actually gifted us uniquely at different things, And what if our marriage was more about us playing to our strengths than just playing out old gender roles or playing out maybe what we saw our parents do and maybe that worked for them or what we see our culture say that a husband does and a wife does. Wouldn't it make more sense if you're really good at these things that you would do them? And that I, if I'm really good at these things, I would do them. And for the things in the middle, we'll kind of divide those up, but let's approach this thing as a real partnership and not just default and defer to, well, this is how my family did it. And I think women are supposed to do this and men are supposed to do this. And this is what moms do. And this is what dads do. And so what it's meant is we maybe do things that are untraditional or unconventional, but our strategy is if we're both playing to the strengths that God has given us, won't our marriage be that much stronger? And so what it's forced us to do is come together in a real partnership and then to look at our planning and go, okay, how do we plan to partner together and not just default to say, oh, well, you should do this with the kids or you should do that with these responsibilities. And so what it's meant, even in our scheduling, if we're true partners, what it's meant is there are many times that school functions for our kids, many little school plays or little play dates where I'm the only dad in the room. And I don't say that because I'm awesome. I say that because we're committed to having the best marriage ever and to being the best parents we could ever be to our kids. And while I may be the only dad in the room at that specific occasion, I do know this. I'm their only dad in the room. And I plan to be my kid's only dad for the rest of their life. And so whatever it takes for me to be present and fully partnered with Jeannie, I want to do that. And that coming together in partnership, I think, has, has defined and set up our relationship for maybe a different... Trajectory. What would you say? Yeah.
0: I think one of the things that has really helped is uh, Jarrett and I started to really desire to have some pictures. Obviously, we had the gift of, of Dick and Sybil in our life, and they were these wonderful mentors. But we said we, we really want some friends in our life that when we look at their life, we look at them and we want to be like them. Like, friends we want to be like is how we describe it. And how can we start to build our relational world in such a way where these people can come into our life and and we can really say to them, Hey... Will you be our friends? Because we see things in you that we want to be like. Your marriage, the way that you, you know, raise your kids, the way that you, um, you know, serve in the church, or, or, or who you are. And, and so will you be our friends, hopefully? <laughs> you know? and, and we have found with this, none of these people just sort of dropped into our laps. We had to go looking for them. We had to go looking for people that we admired and we respected. And we said, hey, we see something in you. Will you help us have a great marriage? Will you be our friend? Uh, two, two of our friends, Mark and Jeannie, they're here tonight. They have an absolutely phenomenal marriage. Absolutely phenomenal marriage. They are dear friends to us. Half the reason why we're friends with them is because we want to be like them.
1: We're takers. We are just <laughs> takers. and yeah.
0: but, but they have a great marriage. And when we're around them, we almost always leave our mm. times with them and the conversations that we have in the car ride home are, how can we have a better ma-? Did you see how they do that with each other? Mm-hmm. Do you see how he, he does that with her, she does that? How do we do that? Mm-hmm. And it makes us want to have a better marriage. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just bringing people into our lives uh, and saying, will you help us have a better marriage has been mm-hmm. a huge, huge practice. A second one uh, that I would say is we made a commitment uh, early on and we said, no matter what, doesn't matter what's happening, doesn't matter what you need to say, in this marriage we always tell the truth.
2: Mm.
0: We always tell the truth. Mm. Lies are not invited here. They are not allowed in this marriage. And and we I think learned early on from that not being the case.
2: Yeah.
0: And not fully letting things come into the light. And anything that lives in the darkness does not help a marriage grow. Mm-mm. Anything that lives in darkness does not produce good fruit in a marriage. And so no matter how hard it was, we just said, we're gonna tell the truth. Yeah. We're gonna always tell
1: the truth. Yeah, I remember uh, a friend of Jeannie's actually that, that was on her staff for many years saying to her in front of a, a group of people and it just rung so true was he said, you know, Jeannie, you love me enough to tell me the truth. And see, I grew up in a culture where those two things were not connected. If you love someone, you didn't bother them or make them feel uncomfortable or say hard or difficult things. You just sort of let it all lie because that's how we love each other, right? Everyone keep moving. No one looked at these difficult things. And so to see someone say, no, to really actually love, as the Bible says, is that we speak the truth in love Mm -hmm. and that speaking the truth in love is love. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: They're not different. In fact, they're deeply, deeply, deeply connected, and that has become a pretty uh, important value for us. I mean, what's really funny is, you know, when I met Jeannie, I-, I learned very, very, very quickly early on. In fact, it's one of the things I love, loved and love most about you is your relentless pursuit of the truth and of the, uh, like, let's say the real thing here, and specifically when it came into our first couple conflicts and fights. I learned very early on that the two of us do conflict very differently in that she faces conflict and I don't. And so, just two very different strategies, really. And, uh, and like, you're a conflict ninja, like, assassin. Like, we're, I, I smell inconsistently. Let's get, after, let's, let's get after this inconsistency. Like, what's going on here? And so, w- we had to learn pretty quickly how to handle conflict and how to um, have that and not be surprised by it and then not be undone by it. Mm-hmm. And so, I'd love for you to share just a little bit about what we've learned along the way when it comes to speaking the truth in love, to being honest with each other, to love each other like that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, the simplest thing that we have learned about conflict in our marriage is that when it comes to conflict, I'm always right.
1: (laughs) She's right.
0: It's true. Oh. <laughs> it's true. No, I, I'm kidding. But I, I've, I've often said, like, Jared, I'm just right. And the sooner you can get on board with no. this, the better it'll be. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so it's not true. That's not true. Um, I wish it was. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to conflict, uh, early on in our marriage, we learned what not to do. Mm. Before, yeah. we before we learned more what to do. And yeah. I think one of the things uh, that we learned was that, uh, you know, when one of us was frustrated about something or when one of us was working through something uh, or angry or, you know, disappointed about something, and, and then the other would approach uh, and say, hey, babe, is everything okay? Are you all right? It seems like you're upset about something. And if the response we gave back was, it's fine, it's um, fine that didn't usually tend to help. Um, That didn't tend to move us forward in solving whatever that conflict was. Or, or this is one that I realized I tended to do at times. Uh, if something wasn't going right and something was um, frustrating me or, or it was a little thing, like I lost my keys or I dropped something. And for some reason, I saw like Jarrett off in the distance, like maybe like 50 yards away. I don't know. I looked at him and I'm like, it's his fault. <laughs> I dropped that thing and I lost my keys because of him. He, he, you know, and he, he just she's, started looking right. over at me, she's smiling. Right. Yeah, and,
2: she's right. She's right.
0: She's and, and, and I would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you made me lose my keys. You know, and, and, and so we realized that that, that didn't help. help. Um, I, I had to really figure out that he no. really had nothing to do with the keys. No. I just wanted someone to blame. And and one of the things that we started to realize was that these behaviors were not going to get us far. And the thing is about marriage is that it's two very, very sinful, broken people. When they're single and on their own, they're sinful and broken, and then they get together... And they bring both of their sin together. And so now it's double the sin. Mm -hmm. And so double the sin makes you have disagreement. It makes you have conflict. It automatically produces tension. You're sinners, right? There's going to be tension. And so for us, we started to get to a point where we said, okay, this is inevitable. We are going to have conflict. We are going to have tension. And so when we do, when we fight, we will fight Fair. We will fight fair. And so we said, there's going to be no dirty fighting here. And one of the ways that we said to not have dirty fighting in our marriage was that we decided that we were going to eliminate two words when it came to blaming from our vocabulary. We would not be allowed to say the words, never and always. That when we were in the midst of a conflict, when we were in the midst of some sort of argument, it was not allowed to say, well, you never ask to help out and do those extra things around the house. Or it seems that you always forget to tell me those things that I'm supposed to know. Or it feels like you never listen to me. Those were Mm -hmm. off, off, no, they were not allowed. They were out of bound kinds of words. In fact, we even said that if we're in the midst of an argument, if we're in the heat of, like, a knockdown, drag-out fight, and one of us says always or never, the other one can literally say, hey, time out.
2: That's not fair.
0: You just said one of the out-of-bounds words. And usually that makes the other person even more <laughs> mad. It's
1: a great moment. Oh, it's an awesome oh, oh, oh. moment.
0: Now I'm going to get back card. at you. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so that, that's, that's a good thing. But it has, it has really helped us learn how to fight fair. I mean, my gosh, we got in a fight over writing this message yesterday. It's true. We we, we were working through a conflict in trying to write this message in one way. Jared wanted to say it and I wanted to say it another way. And we had to work through how we wanted to say it. So that's real time. Mm -hmm. Just yesterday, we had to figure out how to work through that in a way that didn't tear one another down, but instead built one another up. And Ephesians four twenty-nine, it has sort of been this, this staple verse for us when it comes to what we say to one another in a conflict. It says, Do not let any, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk. Come out of your mouth. And one of the things that I have really had to grow into is how I speak to Jarrett and how I speak about Jarrett. How I speak to Jarrett, do I speak to him with respect, with honor, with care, with dignity? This is the man of my dreams. This is the person that I have chosen and pledged my life to spend with. Do I speak to him with that kind of respect and dignity? And then when I'm speaking about him, do I represent that kind of love and care? Mm. Do not let any unwholesome talk Mm. come out of your mouths. Mm.
1: And we, we've worked very hard and, you know, like you, you're exactly right, we made more mistakes than sort of breakthroughs, but the breakthroughs have kind of changed the way that we go about approaching conflict, which we approach on a regular daily basis at times, honestly. But there are, there are uh, times, though, there have been times in our marriage where it's bigger than a conflict, where it's bigger than maybe something, you know, that I said wrong or did wrong, like... There have been some really hard seasons mm-hmm. in our marriage and times where it, we couldn't just fix it by the end of the day.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think it would be, yeah, I, I, I wish someone would have told us early on that these days are coming and sort of how to navigate them. So mm-hmm. I wonder if you would want to just share, just give it a little brief snapshot into one of those seasons for us yeah. and what God taught us through that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, on Thursday night, we, um, so we have a weekly date night, and it's on Thursday nights. And on Thursday night, we went out to dinner, and, uh, and we sort of combined it with our anniversary. And Jarrett said, you know, I, I've got an exercise for us that I would like us to do. I, I would love for us to walk through the last 17 years of our marriage and talk through the different seasons that we have had in our marriage, um, the different, the different you know, places that God has taken us, And it was a really cool exercise for us. And we realized that in our 17 years, we've had five seasons. Um, And we actually did Mm -hmm. the practice of naming those seasons. Now, these names won't mean anything to you, but they they mean a lot to us. Our first season, we named it Bliss and Unaware. Um, It it was just this season of bliss, and we were totally unaware. (laughs) Uh, Our second season, we named The Basement. Um, The third season... We named Letting Go and New Beginnings. The fourth season, we named Humbling, which led to Humility. And the fifth season, we named Walking the Plank. And now, as I said, those, those are metaphors for us. Those are pictures, and, and they mean something to our marriage. They don't mean anything to you. Um, but the second season that I mentioned, um, we titled The Basement. And obviously, the first season was called Bliss and Unaware. And I literally felt like God, in his loving kindness, and I believe that God is very loving and very kind, but I think that God sort of had me up in this little plane with him of bliss and unaware, and just sort of dropped me out into a season that became the basement. And um, for me, uh, it was one of the darkest and most difficult seasons of my life. I lost a job that I had really loved. Hmm. And in the losing of that job, I quickly spiraled into a lot of insecurity and insignificance. Um, And uh, I felt like I was just sort of free-falling, and I wasn't sure what to grab onto.
2: Hmm.
0: And in the midst of dealing with this insecurity and this insignificance, um, my dad had passed away. And it was the first time that I had experienced um, a, a, just a deep loss and grief, and I didn't know what to do with that. I, I didn't know uh, what to hold on to. I started going to counseling for the first time in my life and started to peel back uh, some of the layers that were way beneath the surface, way beneath the surface. And uh, it was a very, very, very dark season. Mm. It was a basement for Mm -hmm. me. And in the midst of that very dark season, um, I think that was the first time that uh, prayer wasn't just something that we thought would be a good practice for our marriage. Like, you know, you're married. You should pray together. Like, that sounds like a good thing. Prayer was a necessity.
1: like a lifeline.
0: It was literally a necessity for this season. For us to get through, it was it was so dark and it was so difficult, and uh, there was so much grief that I was dealing with and burden, and uh, I think that there were times in that season where Jarrett looked over and said, "Who am I married to? Like, who took my wife? Where did she go?" And it was very dark and very difficult. And um, I think one of the things that God taught us in that season was that we had to figure out how to find one another in the darkness. We had to find one another in the darkness. Because one of the things that I have noticed is that when life gets difficult... When life gets difficult for one person in a marriage, or or maybe even both people in the marriage, what can end up happening is that darkness can then overshadow the whole marriage. Mm -hmm. And it can then become this shadow and this casted cloud over the marriage. And the person can say, it is too dark for this marriage to keep moving on. And these difficulties are just too hard. They're just too dark. And I don't know if our marriage has what it takes to keep going. And there were a few moments during that season Mm -hmm. where we had to sit in a counselor's office and say, can you help us figure out how to keep going? Mm -hmm. And what I look back on that season with so much gratitude, I don't think I'd want to relive it, but I look back with so much gratitude because I believe that what happened in the darkness of that basement is what strengthened our marriage. Mm-hmm. It's what fortified our marriage. It's what built a foundation for us so that when the storms and the difficulties come, Which they have. we are so committed to there never being a back door on this marriage. Mm-hmm. Walking out is not an option. And so that's why I thank God mm-hmm. for that darkness. Um, mm-hmm. But it was very, very difficult
1: to walk yeah. through. Well, and I, I one of like I had to learn <laughs> through many failed strategies um, that what God was inviting me into, and what um, what you didn't need from me in that season was to try and fix you, as like beautiful as it sounds in a Coldplay song, <laughs> like. That's not actually my job, for two reasons. One, I can't. I can't. The God who made and formed you is the one who holds you and walks you through Mm. and transforms you.
2: Mm.
1: And that's not what you needed from me. Mm. And if I'm being really honest, I wanted to fix you in that hard season to get us out of complexity and difficulty, Mm. to avoid difficult days as much as possible say, okay, well, let's just get better so we can just move forward. And what you most needed from me was to be with you mm. and to cry with you and to sit with you and just be okay in the darkness. And that was a huge, huge lesson for us that mm. I think God has lovingly allowed us to continue to grow and through mm. several more difficult seasons that we've had in our, in our mm. marriage. And I'm, I'm grateful for the grace that you gave me to, to learn that with you. Mm. So.
0: Mm. And, you know, as, as we uh, have had to navigate all of these different seasons and as we've watched many of you and walked with you as you navigate your marriage and as you navigate your relationships, uh, I would love for you to just share, like, what, what are some of the things that if you, if you could say to Soul City, if you could say to the relationships in the yeah, room. Absolutely.
1: I wish I would have heard this, honestly. I, wish, I think God was whispering it all along and I didn't want to hear it. And so I would say to you, to those of you who are in a marriage relationship right now or who want to be one day, okay, so everyone maybe, is this. Do whatever, do whatever work God is inviting you to do on you today, do whatever the work is that God is inviting you, lovingly, sometimes with his strong hand of love, pruning you, however, wherever, whatever God is inviting you to do on you, do it today and then do some more because nothing, there's, there's no better gift that I can give to my wife than the fullest version of me that God would allow it's just i can't give her any more than the sort of the best me that god would have me be and i can't think of a better way to prepare for a one day potential marriage in the future than to say, I'm not going to wait and hope that marriage will somehow make the picture complete, but I'm going to do whatever I can do today, whatever work God has put in front of me, however hard it may be, however difficult it may be, to become all of who God's created me to be. So if that means I need to get more honest with my friends, I'm going to get more honest. If that means I'm sitting in a counselor's office and I'm paying for it because my soul is worth being cared for by an expert, because I take my car and I take my body and I take... all my other things to experts, but I have yet to take my soul to an expert, then it's worth it. If it's inviting someone in to be a spiritual mentor into your life, it's worth it. Because me expecting her to define who I am is a flawed and failed strategy. Ultimately, the only relationship that can define who I am is my relationship with God. He defines me now and God, in God and his loving kindness has set up marriage in such a way that while he defines me, she gets to refine me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He defines who I am. He defines who I am. And God lovingly uses Jeannie to refine that, to call that out, to push in a little deeper, to expect God's best in me. But for me to expect her to define me as a failed strategy, so I would say whatever, whatever you can do now Mm -hmm. to get honest before God and to do the work that he's put in front of you, don't delay. Begin today. It's not too late for your marriage, and it's not too late in your life, maybe even for a potential future marriage Mm -hmm. down the road. Mm -hmm. What would you say?
0: And and I would say to those of you that are single, um, you know, getting dressed up one day and going to... A field or a chapel or a barn or wherever you choose to get married. Um, and inviting all of your friends and family to stand around you and to speak to another person vows and promises is the easiest part. That's the easiest part. Making promises to another person, though, does not make you capable of keeping those promises. Saying promises promises, saying promises to another person does not make you capable at all, at all to keeping those promises. It just makes you capable of getting dressed up, (laughs) showing up at the venue, (laughs) saying the words, having a great time at the reception, and then going on a honeymoon. That's all it makes you capable of doing. That's all it makes you capable of doing. You have to prepare yourself to be able to have a lifetime, a lifetime of keeping those promises. Mm-hmm. And so those of you that are single or maybe single again in the room or are hoping to be married one day, you can start doing that now. Mm-hmm. You can start doing that now. You can begin to prepare yourself to be a great promise keeper one day. Mm-hmm. That is work you can do right now. And to those of you that are married in the room, being in love and falling in love is the easiest part of the equation. Falling in love is awesome, you lose your mind, right? It's great, it's so fun, it's so wonderful. That's the easiest part of marriage. Staying in love is where all of the work is at. And it's worth it, isn't it? It's so worth it. And your spouse needs to know, your spouse so desperately, Jarrett needs to know that he's worth the work. It's so worth it. This is this is the man of my dreams, the love of my life. It is worth it to work on it, isn't it? It's worth it. And about five years ago, um, we were celebrating our anniversary, and just real honest uh, and real honest moment of vulnerability it was sort of like a dud of an anniversary if i'm just being really frank Almost. and um we were True. like yeah this is so so whatever you know okay cool um i don't know <laughs>
1: what are you gonna do i mean it is yeah it, is. it
0: just it wasn't great i think we like went to chipotle or something i don't know it was it wasn't awesome it was not just, the great things don't yeah, happen at
1: chipotle chipotle yeah.
0: is great but it wasn't great mm-hmm. and um and so i don't know at the end of the day we were talking and um I don't know. There was, there was something about it where we both said, like, isn't this supposed to be a great day?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, isn't this supposed to be the day that we remember those vows that we said, and, and, and we're supposed to be reminded of what God called us to? And so we got to talking and we said, okay, no more Chipotle for sure, um, and no more gifts for one mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. Um, let's not spend money on gifts that aren't really all that necessary. Let's Actually, every year on our anniversary, let's each write a set of vows to one another. Mm -hmm. A set of promises that we are going to give to the other person for the next year of our marriage. I'm I'm only planning on being married to one person for the rest of my life. And, And so... I keep changing, though, as a person, and he keeps changing as a person. And so sometimes those vows need to expand. Those vows need to grow. Uh, And so we decided that every year on our anniversary, we would speak new vows to each other. And then we would figure out a creative way to present them uh, to each other. And then we would hang them in our room for the next year. And uh, lest you think That we are this perfect couple Uh, We did this last night While I was in yoga pants And a t-shirt And hadn't showered Um, And I think (laughs) You were in gym shorts You
1: make yoga pants Look good though, baby Thanks
0: Thank you Mm -hmm. So it wasn't this Like, awesome
1: (laughs) Again, come back next week That's all Uh, I'm going to say
0: so it was not this, like, oh, amazing moment. But it was just this moment where we literally, I mean, we were sitting in our kitchen. And we, we both, un, you know, presented these vows to each other. And, and we sat next to each other, and we read them um, to each other. And as we were talking, we thought, you know, um, it might be uh, cool for, for us to invite you in. Um, and so this is what I gave to Jarrett yesterday. And these are the vows uh, that I um, wrote to him, and we're going to hang this in our bedroom later. And um, and these are the promises that I made to him for this next year um, on our 17th anniversary. So I said and I say, I promise, Jarrett, to pursue Jesus with every fiber of my being. I promise to pursue only you, only you, as the man of my dreams. I promise to believe in you, to respect you, to support you, and to encourage you as you become the man that God created you to be. I promise to listen before I speak and to ask questions in the place of judgment and criticism. I promise to create a family environment that lifts up our partnership of mutual respect and submission. I promise to create moments of wonder and awe with you. I promise to laugh hard for hours on end and to bask in the moments of joy. And I promise to grieve deeply and fully in the difficulties and losses. I promise to live on the edge of faith with you as we watch God continue to write his story in our marriage. And Mm -hmm. year 17 will be our very best yet.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, since it's show and tell, I um, (laughs) had an artist friend of ours uh, design and create this for Jeannie, and then I wrote some vows as well. And, um, And so this is what I read to Jeannie last night and what I commit to living out today and tomorrow. Um, As we celebrate 17 years together, I vow to you, Jeannie, to pursue a thriving transformational relationship with Jesus and to pursue you as my lover and my partner and my friend. I vow to become the best me that God would have me be. I vow to propel and support your growth I vow to be fully present with you and our family. I vow to pray more and to pray more consistently than ever before in our marriage. I vow to initiating. I vow to following through. And I vow to you to own my own sin and to seek forgiveness quickly and completely. And there are many more that we wrote that we're going to keep just for us, but we wanted to share that with you, obviously with each other, as a potential picture of what marriage can, can be, not perfect, God knows, not perfect, but something where we say we want to glorify God and we want to paint a better picture in our own lives, kids' lives into this world of what happens when two people commit to living out the teachings of this book in this world. That's what we are striving to do with our marriage, and we will strive to do until we take our last breath. And what we thought would be a cool moment for us to do is, as a church, to maybe make some vows and to say some vows as well. And so in your seat back, there's actually a little card. I'm going to ask everyone to grab it. And it has on there a couple vows that maybe will work as a jump-off sort of point for you, a place to start, or maybe uh, this is just enough for you to reflect on this week and to circle with that pen you have in your hand, one or two, to say, boy, this is something I can do today. This is work I can begin to do today in my marriage or uh, wherever I may be at in the hope for a marriage one day. What if we kind of picked one of these or rewrote some of these for our relationship, for your life, And so I'm going to ask every one of us, whether you're married or not, to, uh, after I read each of these, if this is your vow, your commitment, then to say emphatically and to say confidently, to say with conviction and to say with a commitment to actually living these out, I do. I do. And I'm going to ask those of you who are married to go one step further. If your spouse is here, I'm going to ask you to actually turn and face each other right now. And I want you to look into each other's eyes. Mm. And you it may have been long enough that you forgot what you said when you were all dressed up on that day. Maybe this will remind you of why you fell in love. Maybe it's been difficult, it's been rough, and it's been a while since you actually looked lovingly into each other's eyes. Would you take the risk for the next 90 seconds and allow God to break something to reform something? to give a better picture of what you actually initially signed up for and longed for in your life and your marriage. So uh, as I read these, if this is your intent, and your desire afterwards, would you say, I do. Do you vow to put God at the center of all your relationships? If so, say, I do. I do. I do. do you vow to pray with and for your spouse? If so, say, I do. I do. I do. Do you vow to be the first in your marriage to serve? If so, say, I do. I do. I do. do you vow in your marriage to be the first to forgive? If so, say, I do. I do. I do. Do you vow to pursue your own growth and to spur on your spouse's growth? If so, say, I do. I do. I do. do you vow to pursue romance with your spouse instead of just being roommates? If so, say, I do do and our our hope in prayer is that this is just a tip of the iceberg kind of experience for you for those of us who aren't married that this would give a small glimpse at what God has for you his best for you his best for you and for those of us who are married to maybe get some things realigned tonight and to talk through these and to remember and to rebuild and to walk into a new chapter a new season together maybe even starting today So what we want to do for the next moment is respond to the God who makes this actually all possible. The God who initially initiated with us, who chose you, knowing fully who you are, chose you to lavish his love, his holy and pure love on you. A God who makes this possible in our lives, present tense, and in the future as well. A God who can restore and rebuild the past tense damage that we've caused in our lives and maybe in someone else's as well. We want to respond to that God. And so we're going to do that by singing to him, by declaring the truth of who he is and how much we need him. And we're going to do it by doing something we regularly do here, which is giving back to God, responding to God by giving to him of our resources. It's a great practice that has come to define our marriage. I I wish, again, this is something I would long for all of our friends who are married and single to experience the joy that comes from trusting God with what he's already entrusted to you. Again, he is already initially initiated by blessing your life with his goodness and the resources in your life. And so as part of our worship every week, we just respond by giving back to God and the work he's doing here and in this neighborhood and in the city, but more specifically the work he's doing here. In our hearts and our lives. So let me pray for, for you and for us, and then we'll worship and respond this God together. Let's let's pray right now. God, thank you for who you are and how much you love marriage. And how much God you love when people devote and commit themselves to you, not just in word, but indeed, in action as well. When we actually follow through with our promises and put them into practice day after day. And so, God, hear our hearts today. We want to be all of who you've created us to be, but we need your help. We long for our marriages to be a better picture to our spouse and to maybe our kids and to this world of what marriage can actually be, but we need your help, God. We cannot do it without you. God, we long for our lives to be fully at peace and trusting fully in you in the absence of maybe a dream that has been deferred for us, a marriage that we long for, or maybe a marriage, God, that is blown up. And we know that we cannot move forward into that future without you. We can't ever be fully healed from our past without you. You And so, God, we come to you because of all of who you are, God, because you are good, God, because you are the one who initiated love to us, because you are the one, God, who longs to make us all of who you intended and created us to be and longs for our lives and our marriages to literally shine in this world. And so, God, we offer these words and these gifts, these responses to you, Not in any attempt to earn your love, but as a response to your love for us. So it's in your name, your good name, that we pray and that we give and that we sing. Amen.